The most damaging part of having childhood PTSD, and you know, at first you think it's what happened to you when you were small, and yes, that was bad, but the part that really holds you back in present time is the self-defeating behavior, the many behaviors that you're still doing as a result of the wounds that you're still carrying, as a result of the neurological dysregulation and the hurt self-esteem, the problems connecting with people and knowing how the regular world works. You put those all together and self-defeating behaviors come out. And I'm gonna tell you what I mean by that. Which behaviors are common for traumatized people? Like you might recognize a few of them. And then I'm gonna ask you to stay with me all the way to the end because I'm gonna to describe to you what it's like when those self-defeating behaviors have lifted. What's on the other side of them and it's good. And that's what happens when your trauma is healing. So don't worry that you have to be perfect. Don't worry that you have to be 100% healed. There really is no such thing as that. There's a groove that you get into through having good tools to recognize and handle the emotional and neurological symptoms that come up as we go through the day. And also, through having a community of supportive people. And I'm gonna talk in this video about how to find that for yourself. Now, when you have tools and support, your healing can accelerate. Do you need to take some actions to get this accelerated healing going? Yes, you need intentional action. You need courageous action. You can go slowly if that feels better, or you can go faster. And I think for me, the decision to commit myself to my own healing process happened when I recognized my own self-defeating behaviors. That was it. That was a really powerful turning point for me because until that time, I'd focused so heavily on what happened, the abuse that happened, the neglect, the bullying from other kids and siblings and ostracization from groups and adults in my life. Those were traumatizing, but I just found I couldn't do anything about what other people had done in the past. And if I could recognize the stuff that I was doing in present time, that was something worth working on because it was something I could change. And to be honest, early in my healing, I really was not clear what I was doing to cause problems. I just knew I was drowning in problems. So I wanna start with a list of self-defeating behaviors that might be helpful for you to go, oh yeah, I do that. And knowing what these are isn't so you can beat yourself up, but as you listen, you might identify one or two that if you healed these, even if you don't know yet how to heal them, it would make a huge difference in your life. So take note of that. And then, not to end on a discouraging note, I'm gonna go through what it looks like when these very problems are healing. And I guarantee you, you will recognize some of these signs of healing in yourself, no matter how far along you are, they're already happening. So we'll get to the signs of healing, but we'll start with the self-defeating behaviors, okay? Here we go. Number one, neglect of body. Now this could be avoidance of medical and dental care or even harming yourself. It could be wearing inappropriate or shabby clothes. It could be having poor hygiene or it could be neglect of, you know, just exercise, food that you need, just normal stuff that is hard to put together when you are in active CPTSD symptoms. 
The second one is blame, and this is the difficulty seeing your own role in problems. It can be like victim thinking, um, you, you can't see how there's any possible way you could have done it differently or maybe next time, and it results in like bitterness, slandering other people. It's a belief that all your problems are the result of a certain person, a certain event, um, a, a certain country, a political party, a group of people. You know, you hear this all the time, you know, it's all because of men or that's a group of people, right? So that would be blame. Number three is black and white thinking. Traumatized people are often drawn to extreme views, groups, authority figures, and belief systems. And a sign of this is if you are constantly being outraged at someone in your life, at the news, that kind of thing, like you're always like at nine, you know, Argh! black and white thinking costs you the freedom to disagree or step back from conflicts with other people. You end up dominating other people, slandering them, cutting off contact with friends, family, people outside your group where there really was hope. But because you are in black and white thinking, there is nothing that can ever be worked out. Number four is numbing with substances. And traumatized people aren't the only ones who do this, but we have a statistically high rate of substance abuse and addiction. Now you may be trying to relieve stress with alcohol or drugs, or maybe taking more or different medication than prescribed. That is a self-defeating behavior. Number five is doing this with food, eating addictively, binging on food, especially carbohydrates, not eating enough, or obsessing on how you look, or uh, how much you weigh, or what you're gonna eat next, or the correct way of eating. And that has a name, by the way, the obsession with correct way of eating is called orthorexia. It's on the rise. Number six is addictive use of media and entertainment. <laughs> and this is when we use TV, social media, internet, and games enough to interfere with sleep and meals and our daily routine or family responsibilities or work or school or their ability to make a living. And by screens, I also mean these things, right? Oh my gosh. It's Walk around, walk around a public place and just see how many people are looking at their phone. I, I've noticed it's maybe about 50% at any given time. Weird, huh? <laughs> Number seven is dishonesty. And this includes exaggerating, hiding important personal truths or preferences about yourself from other people, lying, stealing, um, cheating, tax evasion, illegal activity. All right. Eight is work problems. And this, this could be very broad. This would be if you have, let's say, a chronic adversarial relationship with your boss or your coworkers, or if you chronically stay in unfulfilling work. I mean, there's so many problems you could have at work. It's part of, you know, it's definitely part of a self-defeating behavior. If you're under earning, if you're neglecting a healthy need for learning and skill development, if you have unusually long or frequent periods of unemployment, or maybe you have a pattern of suing your employer or thinking about suing them or getting sued by them. This could be a trauma-driven pattern. Okay, number nine is irritability. And things like frequent arguments, falling out with friends, neighbors, partners, family members, um, ranting, flying into a rage, road rage, mistreating people, taking revenge, or actually committing violence. Number 10 is 
an attraction to troubled partners and friends. And this is so common for people neglected and abused in childhood. What this looks like is being repeatedly drawn into relationships that turn out to be abusive or controlling or damaging to the other relationships in your life or to, to your family or to your finances. And this attraction to troubled people may also be in play if you find yourself claiming that everybody in my life is abusive or everybody in my life is, nar is a narcissist, for example, but you stay with them and rationalize why that's necessary, that would be a self-defeating behavior. 11 is being in an unfulfilling romantic life. Now maybe you've had no dating relationships or you've stayed in a bad relationship too long or you've created or stayed in a loveless partnership. That would be one, a self-defeating behavior. But another one could be called abuse of sexuality. And this includes using an overly sexualized appearance or conduct to the point that you lose your dignity or you get into situations you never wanted to be in and your emotional security and your ability to be real around sex and relationship dynamics starts to get like damaged. It includes doing things that you don't wanna do or that make you feel ashamed. And people with childhood PTSD have a higher than average rate of, you know, for example, unwanted pregnancy and a higher than average rate of compulsive behaviors around sex. So that's definitely a part of trauma. Um, the next one is an addictive use of fantasy. And this could be around your career success or more commonly around relationships. And it includes fleeing reality. When things are tough, you know, whoo, you just go right out into the fantasy, not really being here to solve problems or listen or talk things out, not being in touch with reality. Fantasy can lead to a failure to take reasonable action and to have huge unrealistic expectations and make huge unrealistic promises. You inflate the importance of relationships and events and personal attributes and prospects. At the extreme, it can become obsession. It can become stalking. And it can lead to a neglect of your health, your work, and your family obligations. Number 14 is the avoidance of people, responsibility, and participation. Now, this includes isolating, becoming what's called socially anorectic or avoidant or covert avoidance where you you know, technically participate in things or accept invitations, but when you're there, you don't connect. Everybody's at arm's length. Some people do this as individuals, but some people do it as a couple or as a family or as a group, or like a cult is an example of this, where there's a disconnection and avoidance of connection with the outside community. 15 is debting. And this means living beyond your ability to pay for things like your home, your car, the things you do for fun. As it gets worse, you might get into gambling, um, your debt growing and growing, and problems like foreclosure, bankruptcy, homelessness. And for traumatized people, debting often goes hand in hand with just kind of a vagueness about, you know, what would be the path to solvency? What is the amount that they spend? Vagueness. So 16 is repeating traumatic patterns. Maybe you have a seeming inability to detect trouble or step back when trouble shows up in your life, or you relapse into a traumatized state again and again and again, triggering deepening of depression, rage, collapse, reversion to old behaviors. And you can see how, you know, a traumatized person can't always help this happening, but I'm just saying it is a behavior. And if it's happening, it is holding you down. The reassuring thing is that these are all common and normal symptoms in people who were traumatized as kids. And if you have these behaviors, you're normal. 
And unfortunately, now that we're grown, no one is coming to save us. It doesn't matter how accurately you can figure out why these behaviors took root in you. What matters is that you unroot them. Some of it is hard, some is easy. Some takes time, but some can change very quickly. And you'll find that if you can change one thing, then that creates this little space where another thing can change, and then another, and then another. And that is how healing happens, with tools and support to take one good action after another. What tools can you use? Well, maybe you have some already, 12-step programs, therapy, my programs. You can click on the links below my videos, all of them. You can find the programs, including my free course, The Daily Practice, and the free calls that go with that. You can always join me in that. At the end of this video, I'll remind you to click on that stuff. But the most important thing I wanna share with you is the vision of what it can be like when these behaviors heal. Now, I didn't think I could possibly heal from my childhood PTSD, but now I'm here to tell you how I did it. And in this video, what it feels like, what changes when that healing happens. How will you know? Are you ready? All right. These are the signs that your trauma wounds are healing. Number one, when your trauma is healing, you will no longer tend to see things in black and white terms. People, yourself, and situations. You will no longer hold them up as all good or put them down as all bad. You'll begin to appreciate the complexity of things and the way that people can have faults, but they can be decent people anyway. You'll have less outrage and more curiosity. You'll have less impatience and more persistence. You'll lose the attraction to extreme views and authority figures, and you'll gain the ability to interact with a variety of people. Relationships where one person dominates the other one, they'll just get more equal or they'll fade away. It will be less necessary to cut people out of your life. Number two is you'll have a natural desire to care for your body, in part because you're, you're going to have less drama in your life and you'll have more energy to do things like take a walk, floss your teeth, shop for clothes that look good on you. <laughs> I still find that hard, actually. I don't like shopping. But you will feel a little better. Now, when you find yourself feeling too schlumpy to leave the house or too tired from watching TV until one o'clock in the morning, that you feel like, ah, I can't do anything, it'll just come to feel like that pattern is not worth it anymore. You will want the things that having energy brings. One little step after another will lead to more clarity, more enthusiasm for your life, and a desire to do even more good things for yourself. Number three is you will naturally crave healthier food. And being at the effect of past trauma can lead to all kinds of food problems, um, obesity, malnutrition, eating disorders, and it can lead to a tendency to deal with stress by binging on carbs and sugar. Oh, they feel so relaxing at first, right? But they're dysregulating in the long run. They don't feel good. They're draining. And as you heal, you won't want that feeling. Number four, you'll lose that compulsive desire to binge on screens, including TV and video games and just plain looking at your phone all the time. If your screen time has interfered with you know, your sleep, your meals, your work, your ability to be present with your loved ones, then the release from addictive behavior will be life-changing for you. Moderation actually feels kind of good after a while. Number five is you're not gonna be tempted anymore to fake the truth. Things like exaggerating, hiding important information about yourself, or lying about things. It's not gonna be necessary. You won't need to, or because you're not gonna feel ashamed of yourself. You're not gonna have so much to hide. 
Eventually, you'll have nothing to hide. It's all worked out. Being honestly yourself will feel good. And when you're not being real, you'll start to have real discomfort. You'll actually want the truth to filter through your life. And if there's anyone still in your life who can't handle who you really are, eh, you'll feel more acceptance that they might just no longer belong in your life. The people who leave your life will leave a nice little spot where other people who love and accept you can come in and be your friend. Number six is your work life will start to go better and you won't stay stuck in unfulfilling work. You'll change your relationship to your current job or you will get a new one. You'll have the power to do that. And if a lack of work has been your problem, all the good changes that are happening in the rest of your life are going to make it easier to get work and to earn money that supports you and the people who count on you. You're going to know how to steer clear of exploitative or abusive employers. That won't just keep happening over and over again for mysterious reasons. You'll lose your appetite to be in conflict with people on the job, and you're going to get the ability to show up, to do good work, to be an encourager of your coworkers, to be, you know, to enjoy that cooperation and that teamwork, and then also to advocate for yourself and your own ideas and getting credit when it's appropriate. Number seven is, You'll lose interest in assigning blame to yourself or other people for problems and focus instead on just finding good solutions. You're going to feel less angry. You're not going to be so irritable. And when something is your fault, it'll be so easy to just own it and say, ah, I'm sorry. And when someone else owes you an apology but doesn't give it to you, which is most of the time, don't dwell on it. You won't. There's no need. It doesn't affect you so much anymore. Blame-filled talking, you know, gossip, news, social media posts, it will just start to feel bad. It puts a bad taste in your mouth. People in your life may not know why, but they'll feel better about themselves when they're around you. Hmm. Number eight is any attraction you once had to unavailable partners and troubled friends will just let go of you. You'll be released. So much life damage is done by these self-defeating behaviors, connecting and bonding with and staying with people who are trouble. Avoiding any kind of intimacy with people at all, even though it's what you long for, or abusing intimacy by acting out sexually, which is still a way of having no intimacy, by the way. These are also part of CPTSD that can take persistence to change. But when you've made real progress in the other areas, it will be easier to stop re-traumatizing yourself in these ways. The spell gets broken. It is like that, right? It's like being under a spell. Everything seems so real and then poof, you see. You see the truth. So then what's left is peace. Peace when you're single and the possibility of harmony and real love when you do meet someone. Number nine is you will start to prefer reality to fantasy and the tendency to check out by spending too much time in limerent, obsessive fantasy relationships or fantastical business success ideas is really common with people in the middle of trauma. But in the end, that fantasy level, that, that much fantasy, it's just another way to avoid real problems and the actions that need to be taken. When you're healing, it feels less necessary to go into fantasy. And when you catch yourself daydreaming, you can come back to the place where true connection and pursuit of your dreams is really possible, which is right here, right now. Number 10 is your material well-being will improve. Now, most people in the world, including most happy people, live good lives without being rich and famous. And, you know, most of the world lives on very little money at all. 
Financial hardship can fall on anyone, but when you're free of trauma, it's more possible to earn a steady income, to stay safe in that way, to let go of get-rich-quick schemes, and to live within your means. That takes a high level of consciousness, doesn't it? You can release the fear of the past when, if you're like many of us, you may have been just a few hundred dollars away from homelessness too many days of the year. I've been there. It all gets better when you're healing. A little here, a little there. You, you could sleep at night. You can handle the hard days when they happen. You can hold your head up even though you make mistakes because you're not sabotaging yourself in ways that make you ashamed anymore. This is what healing feels like when you're not re-traumatized all the time. So don't get discouraged. There are things you can do to start your healing right now. Thank you so much for listening. If you love my content, think about joining my membership program. You can find out more information about that and all my courses and coaching programs at crappychildhoodfairy.com. Remember, healing is possible. People with childhood PTSD can have a wonderful life. Sometimes we just need a few workarounds. I'll see you next time.